Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Leviticus chapter 5. If you were here earlier before the... uh, before the worship, I read through this chapter, and it talks a lot about sin. Of course, Leviticus, these first few chapters are dealing a lot about sin, sin offering, what to do when a person sins. And uh, as I shared last week, uh, sin, the word, it's a Hebrew word, it really means to miss the mark or to fail in your duty. Well, what's the mark? The mark is God's standard of righteousness. And uh, so, and we know it as the law. The New Old Testament is called the law. Um, now, the word sin itself is the most frequently word u- used in the Bible for sin. But there's a danger sometimes, I think, because, you know, if I look at the image up here and I go, you know what? Oh, man, I just missed the target of righteousness. I just missed, you know, there, there can be a tendency to minimize sin. Uh, and so the Bible sometimes actually describes sin in different ways. Uh, sometimes the Bible describes to sin as to transgress. The word transgress, it literally means to cross over. And uh, what it basically means is to overstep God's boundaries. So we have God's law, we have God's commandments, and to transgress is to purposely, not unintentionally, but to purposely in rebellion step over that and go beyond what God has commanded. Uh, You know what you shouldn't do, but you're going to do it anyways. James even adds to that, to him who knows how to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. So it's not only just, I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it, but it's also, I know what I, uh, excuse me, I know what I shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyways. But it's also, I know what I should do, and I'm not going to do it. Both of those are to transgress. So another word uh, used for sin sometimes in the Bible is the term iniquity. And it literally means perversity. There's a Greek equivalent. uh, It would be lawlessness, being unruly, rejecting God's divine rule. And when I'm looking, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so maybe you guys are even more knowledgeable about this from me than me. But when I look at it, it seems to describe, iniquity seems to describe more of an overall condition of just total rebellion against the Lord, whereas transgressions would, in, would describe the individual acts of rebellion. Uh, sometimes the word trespass is used, and there's different Hebrew words that are translated trespass in the Old Testament. One means to revolt, and it's very close uh, to transgress in definition. Another one is treachery, and still another one is guilt or a fault. The last one, guilt, is the one that's used here in chapter 5. Now, I wanted to make one thing clear. This is all sin. It's all sin. It's all a violation of God's righteousness. And the wages of all sin, we can find out in Romans 6.23, is death, right? The wages of sin is death. And so all need an atonement in order to be forgiven of. And so chapter 5, and we're actually going to look at half of chapter 6, deals with the trespass and the guilt offering. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Now the trespass offering, the physical offering itself is very similar to the sin offering, but there's a difference. The difference is this, the sin offering deals with our sin nature. 
the trespass offering deals with specific sins that are done because of our sin nature. I want to explain something to you, and hope maybe you already know this, and if you do, that's great. But I'm not a sinner because I sin. I'm not a sinner because I sin. In other words, I did this, or I did that, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, and therefore, I'm a sinner. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. I sin because I am a sinner by nature. I did this, or I did that, or I failed to do this, or I failed to do that because of my sin nature. It's a very important distinction to make. And so we're going to look at the trespass offering this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to verse 1 of chapter 5. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Now this is specifically referring to lying under oath. Now we know, or hopefully you have known, and only your mom or your dad's taught you, we know that lying, the Bible calls it bearing false witness, is sin. We know that. Hopefully, I don't think anybody doesn't know that. But here, even withholding the truth, that is also bearing false witness, and it's sin. So it's not just what we say, but what we fail to say that is sin. Proverbs 29, 24 says this, whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. Sometimes we, you know, we're in a relationship with someone or we're involved in some kind of a situation and we withhold truth. Uh, you know, maybe we just give a little bit of information, a half-truth. If you're ever involved in counseling, that's one of the biggest things that you deal with is people just giving you a little bit of truth because they don't want to lay it all out because it makes them look bad. So they'll give you just enough to make you go, oh, yeah, you're really good and that other person's really bad, you know. Um, so uh, withholding truth or half-truth, uh, it's sin. It is sin. It's lying. Um, even if you have the best of intentions. You know, sometimes uh, we, we hold back on the truth because, you know, man, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. I really, you know, I just, I'm, I'm worried about what the ramifications are going to be if I tell the truth. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And do you really love that person? You need to share the truth. Now, you share the truth in love, obviously, but we need, to hold, we need to share the truth. In fact, Ephesians, Paul says, talks about speaking the truth to one another in love. And Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So if you love someone, you need to tell them the truth. Again, in love. Consider Jesus when it's, we're talking about uh, lying under oath. In Matthew 26, verses 62 through 63, it says, And the high priest arose. This is when Jesus was arrested, and he's standing before the Sanhedrin on the night of his crucifixion. It says, And the priest, high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? Because they were asking Jesus all these questions. They were accusing Jesus of all these things, and he was just silent. Of course, he was fulfilling prophecy, right? Because in Isaiah, it says, like a, like a lamb sent, uh, sent to, the, to the slaughter. I mean, he, just, he didn't say anything. He was just silent. And so the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. 
And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Well, at that point, Jesus wasn't silent because he's not going to lie. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the trespass offering was required for withholding the truth. Look at verse 2. Here's another situation. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall also be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. So what this is talking about is being ceremonially unclean. The details regarding that are in Leviticus 11, Leviticus 15, Leviticus 22, Numbers 19, Deuteronomy 14, and we'll deal with these in greater detail when we get into it later on in Leviticus. But what's interesting is in the New Testament, Paul refers to believers being unequally yoked together with unbelievers in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, when he's talking about being unequally yoked, he's probably referring back to Deuteronomy 22, which we obviously won't get to today. But Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10 says, you shall not plow with an ox or a donkey together. Why? Because they're different kinds. You're not going to get a straight furrow or a straight line because you've got a different animal. It's just, it's just not going to work. And spiritually, it's not going to work if you're yoked together with an unbeliever. And specifically in marriage. Like some people come to me and ask, you know, can, can you perform a wedding ceremony? And if one's a believer and one's an unbeliever, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I don't want to see a train wreck happen. And so it definitely applies to marriage. But I think it goes way beyond that. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18, Paul says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this, he's referring back to this concept of touching unclean things. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be their, my people. And now he's quoting from, uh, I think here in Leviticus, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So like I said earlier, it definitely refers to marriage, not being unequally yoked, a believer and an unbeliever in marriage. But it goes beyond that. I think it's having any fellowship with unbelievers in a sinful or a criminal way. You know, you're just, you're just doing what they're doing. You're hanging out with them. Uh, any environment where we let the world influence our thinking. That's the danger, being unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's when you and I are being conformed to the world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is what Paul is quoting. And it's not just a separation from, because sometimes we think, okay, I just, I can't be in the world. I got to be away from all those evil unbelievers. And the Bible says you can't, that's not realistic. We're, we're in the world. 
you got to get used to that. You you interact, you work with unbelievers, you do commerce with unbelievers. I mean, you're, you're, they're all around us, unbelievers. So that would be un, very impractical to go off into a monastery and just I'm just gonna be around Christians or something like that. That's not gonna work. So we're, it's not just a separation from, but it's a separation to. A separation to God is what it is. It's a living life that's not influenced by the world around you, being in the world but not being of the world. And so the trespass offering was required for ceremonial and cleanness. And we'll, we'll get into that much later in, in Leviticus. Now look at verse 4. Here's another situation. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. So the reference is to an oath to do something uttered like in recklessness, you just spout something off or passion and, and forgotten. You say, or maybe you say, I'm going to do this and you just, you know. Have you ever had people that do that? They just make promises to you, and then it's just like, it just flows out of their mouth. Well, I'll do this for you. And then they never do it. They never follow through. It could also be swearing rashly you'll do something evil. Now, doing something evil, following through and doing it would have been sin. But here, even rashly pronouncing it, I'm going to do this, and it's evil, with your lips, is sin. Or it could be, like I mentioned earlier, swearing rashly you'll do something good, and then you never follow through not following through would have been sin as well. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this in chapter 5, verse 2, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Verse 6, the same chapter, chapter 5 in Ecclesiastes. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? So we really have to be careful. I'm not saying don't make a promise, because some people do that. Well, I'm not, I don't want to be caught, you know, I don't want to make a promise. No, make promises, but don't make them flippantly. If you make a promise, plan to fulfill it. Be faithful. That's the one thing that's missing in our culture today is faithfulness to our word. There's an example of this type of sin in Acts chapter 23. Paul's finally been arrested uh, in Jerusalem by the, by the Romans. And his nephew hears a conspiracy from these at least 40 Jewish men. And says, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So they said, well, we're not going to eat anything until we kill Paul. And his nephew hears of it. And his nephew tells his sister, says, you go tell Paul. He tells Paul. Paul says, hey, go tell the, the, the Roman, the commander of the army here. Go tell him what you heard. And so this young man goes and he speaks to the commander. And that Roman commander takes 200 soldiers, Roman soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. And they take Paul the apostle. And they, they put him on a horse and they bring him at night safely. He's got this guard of, you know, hundreds of Roman soldiers on around him. There's no way anybody's going to kill Paul. So he makes it to Felix, the governor at Caesarea. And they never did kill Paul. And you got to wonder, did those guys die of starvation? Because they made a vow. I'm not going to eat until I kill Paul. Well, they didn't kill Paul. But we know. They, it just, they made the promise, but they didn't fulfill it. 
the promise was evil. They shouldn't have done that sin itself. But also, even just making the promise. I say, uh, had they fulfilled it, that, of course, would have been murder. But even saying, I'm going to do this, that's a sin as well. So we have to be so careful about what we say thoughtlessly. We just utter things off. You know, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do whatever. We have to be careful. And so the trespass offering was required for someone who thoughtlessly sweared an oath, whether good or bad, and failed to fulfill it. Verse 5. And it shall be, when he is guilty of any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. In other words, be specific about the sin that you've committed. You might say, well, why do, why do I have to be, you know, why do I have to just be specific? Why can't I just say, you know, when we're praying, Lord, forgive me my sins. Sometimes we do that. Or, we'll, or maybe we've sinned against someone else. Forgive me for sinning against you. But we're not specific. We need to be specific. It's too easy to just say, forgive me of my sins, and then just leave it generic at that. It's very humbling to say, forgive me for doing this or for not doing that. Name the sin. Bring it out in the open. It's humbling. It really is to admit to what you've sinned. But guess what? It may be humbling, but James says this in chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will give grace to you. If you just humble yourself and admit what you've done. Notice as we've been going through this chapter here, there's the possibility of not being aware of the sins committed. And then once a person realizes that they're guilty and they have to do something about it. The writer of Psalms says in 19 verse 12, Psalm 19 verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. And you might say, well, wait a minute. How could someone be unaware that they've sinned? Very easy. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts deceive us. Ah, oh, that wasn't a sin. You didn't do anything bad. You know, we can justify what we do, even when we've sinned. Paul the Apostle says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4. He says, For I have no of nothing against myself. Well, he, couldn't, he couldn't think of anything that he had sinned in. But he says this, Yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. That's a very, very important statement that uh, Paul makes. Just because I don't feel conviction about something doesn't mean I've not sinned. Our attitude and our prayer should always be uh, what it is in Psalms 139 verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. As you go through the scriptures in the New Testament, there's lots of scriptures that talk about examining our hearts because our hearts are deceitful. And so we have to prophesy, Lord, you know, show me the, where I'm sinning. Show me my motives. Reveal to me what I'm doing. Reveal to me my heart. So what are they to do with the trespass offering? Look at verse 6. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. 
and he shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring off its head from its uh, wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering, and he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Now, in the last few chapters, we dealt with the significance of the different aspects of the sin and the burnt offering. We discussed them before. If this is your first time listening to a message in Leviticus, we've got our messages on the internet. You can go to the Calvary Chapel website and uh, you can listen. And so you can get into kind of catch up to speed as to what we're talking about. But that is basically what you had to do with the trespass offering. Look at verse 11. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sins shall bring his offering for his offering one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. So in other words, you sin and you, you've got flocks and herds or whatever, and you, you, you're, you can afford to take a, a flock, a, 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 you know, a a female from the from your herd or from your flock unblemished you could bring it and that would be your trespass offering but let's say you didn't you couldn't afford that well then you could purchase two or maybe you had two turtle doves or two young pigeons a lot less expensive than uh, a larger animal but what if you couldn't even afford that what if you were so poor you couldn't even afford an animal well, God makes a provision for even the poorest of the poor to be able to offer the trespass offering. You know, sometimes we think, I can't afford to confess that sin. The cost is too high. But guess what? You can't afford not to confess that sin. And God makes a provision for that. What's the importance of the trespass offering? You know, it's interesting. You remember, how many of you guys know the Lord's Prayer? It's John chapter 17, but <laughs> just that was a trick. Um, the Lord's Prayer, you know, the disciples went up to Jesus and said, you know, teach us how to pray. And that's called the Lord's Prayer. But technically, Jesus was teaching them how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is actually the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. But I, that, I wasn't trying to be trick you guys. But anyways, we all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, part of it, Matthew 6, verse 11 through 12, Jesus taught them to pray saying, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. F.B. Meyer says this, he says, we need to confess our trespasses as often as we eat our daily bread. And we need to have a clean heart with the Lord daily, every night, you know, at the, end of the, at the end of your day, come to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me for those things that I did. And, and name them specifically. It's too easy, again, it's too easy to say, just forgive me for my sins. But be specific. Bring it out into the open. So here, if you couldn't afford to uh, bring in a larger animal, you couldn't afford to bring a, tur uh, a uh, turtle dove or a young pigeon, two young pigeons, then you could bring an ephah, fine flour. And the ephah, fine, we talked about the grain offering in, in the past week, and this is very similar to the grain offering, except there's one significant difference. There's no oil or frankincense. And the Bible says because it's a sin offering. Oil and frankincense 
why 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 is that not required or why is it you shouldn't put it with this with this particular offering well there's a practical reason it would have cost more money you'd have to purchase the uh, frankincense and the oil so it's an added cost so if you were that dirt poor God's not going to make you pay for that but there's also a spiritual reason I think if for for people it would be too easy to equate the grain or the thank offering um, the, doing this as a thank offering, I should say. The grain offering, it really, really represented joy and thankfulness to the Lord for what he's done. You consider these other offerings. If you were wealthier and you brought a lamb or a goat or uh, you brought these two turtle doves or whatever, you know, two young pigeons, um, those animals would be slain. They'd be killed. And so it would bring home the seriousness of the sin to the sinner. But if you just bring your flower, there's no death. And so uh, there, there's no, nothing to kill, obviously. But God says, just don't put oil or frankincense on it because it's a sin offering. This is serious. So in that respect, it's trying to bring seriousness uh, brought home to the sinner with no oil or frankincense. Verse 12, then he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him for his sins that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. I love it. You do this, it will be forgiven of you. Just 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God's not going to say, oh, I don't know about this one. No, he'll forgive you if you'll confess it. So I love that. So the, they brought their grain offer, the, the ephah of fine flour to the priest. The priest would take a memorial portion. He'd take a portion of it, burn it on fire to the Lord. The rest would be the priests. And that's God's way of providing sustenance for his ministers, the Levites. So now we get into the law of the guilt offering. You might say, why the need? You've got all these different offerings. Why the need for a guilt offering? Isn't being forgiven of sin enough? Well, it depends. Oftentimes our sin it has a profound and a hurtful impact on others. Not only have we sinned against God, but we've sinned against others. And yes, being forgiven is enough, but in the guilt offering, God here provides a practical way to deal with the guilt that sin produces in relation to others. And that was through restitution. There's a way that you can make it right. Now, we can't make it right with God because there's nothing we can do to get right with God other than just thanking him, you know, confessing our sins and, and repenting of them and thanking him, putting our trust in him. But there's nothing that we can do to make it right with God. But there are things that we can do to make it right with the people that we sinned against. We can make restitution. Verse 14, chapter 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest." So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. 
If a person sins and commits any of these things, which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring the, ram, the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. So it says here, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, what, what is he talking about? I think it's like accidentally in under the old covenant, forgetfully, uh, you know, forgetting to uh, provide your tithe, to give your tithe to the Lord, or unknowingly eating the first fruits of your crop or your herds or your flocks. His trespass was against the Lord. It was a sin. But it was also, in a sense, against the priests, because through those offerings, God provided them food, finances uh, from the tithes and the offerings. And so this guilt offering, a valuation was made by the priest. So you bring your animal, they, they say, well, if we sold this on the open market, this is what it'd be worth. So they would, then you would give that amount in shekels, the temple shekel, plus you'd add 20% to that. And that's making restitution in this case. Let's move on to chapter 6. Verse 1. I hope to get all the way through Leviticus this morning. Just, just making sure you guys are awake. <laughs> all right, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, and any of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found, or, about all, uh, or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore to its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering." And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. So you sinned against somebody. Somebody's been affected, hurt by your sin. You lied about something. You kept something from them. You stole from them. You, make, you, you pay it back but you also give restitution. It's a merciful way for God to, to help you with your guilt that you're dealing with, the guilt of your sin. Notice also in verse 5 the timing of when the restitution was to take place on the day of his trespass offering. Don't hold it off. Don't wait. On the day that you bring your sacrifice to the Lord, that's the same day you should make restitution to the person you sinned against. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God's concerned with your and my relationship to others. He wants us to have a right relationship with him, but he also wants us to have a right relationship with other people as well. And so that's what this is all about getting reconciled. You know, you, you go to bring your sacrifice and yet you've got some 
war or some kind of you know dispute going on with somebody get right with them first then offer your to the lord so not only are we to be right with god but right with whoever we've sinned against you know i'm going to give you a little tip too because i've seen this many times i think i maybe even have expected it myself you know you sinned against someone okay i got to go i got to go get reconciled with them so i'm going to go to them I'm going to say exactly what I did. I, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to say sorry for offending you or sorry for the... I'm going to say exactly what I did. I'm sorry I said this thing against you. I'm sorry I took this, right? I hurt you in this way, specifically saying that thing. But you know what the problem is? Sometimes we go, hey, that's a Christian I'm confessing to. They have to forgive me. And then we have this attitude. Well, I've confessed to them. Now I expect them to forgive you, forgive me. Let me give you a tip. Don't expect them to forgive you. Don't demand it. Humbly reconcile for your part in whatever it is and leave it at that and pray for the person. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in their lives, especially, obviously, if they're a believer. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That doesn't mean you're going to be at peace with all men, but as much as it depends on you, be at peace with them. Just get right, confess it, and don't expect them. Just don't have any expectations, because that's humbly. If you're coming to a person humbly, you're not saying, okay, I'm, I'm confessing this, you have to forget. That's not humble. But just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I sinned against you, and leave it at that. That's, that's the right way to do it. You know, I was struggling personally. Looking back at verse 14, uh, it says, if, back in chapter 5, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally regarding the holy things of the Lord, you know, and I mentioned they forgot to pay their tithe or they forgot to, 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 to give a certain sacrifice or whatever. I'm thinking in my mind as I've been preparing for this message, I'm like, uh, you know, man, how could you forget something like that? And yet God is so gracious. If you unintentionally do this, you can, you can deal with it. You can get right with it. You can confess it. So many things that we mentioned today, the word unintentional or unaware pops up in this chapter. I didn't write how many, but it's, it appears throughout. Can you imagine if you were a Jewish person living under the Old Covenant? Can you imagine all the sacrifices? You had to keep track of them. The festivals. You had to know when to do. The things that you couldn't touch because you become unclean, ceremonially unclean. So you got to, all these things, if something drops on a, on a pail that's next to you, here's what you do with it. All the laws, all the requirements that were expected of you, I could think it'd be very easily to unintentionally sin in one of these things. It'd be so hard to keep track of. God was trying to send a message to the Jewish people, to people in general. You can't keep the law. As try as you might, you can't. The law was a tutor, the Bible says, to bring us to Jesus Christ. The law was, was to show us that, how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. And under the new covenant, Jesus Christ fulfills the righteous requirements of the whole law. We've been talking about all these different sacrifices. Every single one of these sacrifices, there's a picture of Christ. He's the fulfillment of each of these sacrifices and each of these offerings. All the various sacrifices, all the offerings, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of them. I hope you're filled with joy today because Jesus Christ has paid it all for you and I. 
What a joyful thing to uh, be thankful for. And so this morning, we're actually going to celebrate communion as well as uh, witnessing uh, beautiful baptisms. But we're also going to be celebrating what Jesus Christ did for you and me. Why don't you stand up? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll have the worship team come up as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, as we look at all the different uh, requirements and all the, 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 the exact details of these sacrifices and these offerings, and Lord, I know my personality, I, I, I would get lost in those details. I would sin quite a bit unintentionally. But I thank you, Lord God that you met and fulfilled all these righteous requirements for me. The Lord, all I need to do is confess my sin, turn to you, put my trust in you as my Savior. Lord, thank you for paying the price for our sins. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you remain standing? And as the worship team, the way we do Calvary, uh, uh, communion at Calvary Chapel here, is as soon as the worship team starts playing, we invite you to come forward and you take the cup and the cracker, bring it back to your seat. And then once we're done with the worship song, and we've all been able to have the elements, then we'll partake together as a family. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're communing with the Lord. We're remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Uh, the, the cracker represents his body, which was given for us. He laid his life on the line for us. We saw that in the burn offering. Um, and his, the juice represents his blood that was shed. There's a lot of blood in Leviticus. All that blood, uh, Jesus Christ, his blood is what cleanses us from sin. And so those are the things that we're looking at this morning. And so we're celebrating what Jesus Christ did. But, you know, one, kind of the thing in the Jewish thought, too, is if, if you and I share a meal together, uh, you and I are, because we have the same food entering into our bodies, we're one with one another. And so as we're eating, we're, we're communing with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also communing with one, each, one another as the body of Christ. Because God wants us to be one in love for each other, one in spirit, one in commitment to one another, one in faithfulness to each other. So what a beautiful thing.